just a moment, we're going to begin a six-week journey through Jesus' very words. The greatest teaching that you'll ever hear, the best teaching you'll ever hear, uh, not from me or from the pastoral staff, although we think we're pretty good. Um, but what's important is you hear the words of Jesus, not what other people say about Jesus, but his words themselves, that we may be made new and heaven would come to earth in Jesus' mighty name. Let's share in God's good word together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Here in the crucible, that's what the recruits are learning, is that brotherhood. It takes more than just themselves to get through certain obstacles in life. Twelve weeks of basic training. And the sergeant would say, blessed are those who crawl on their bellies. Blessed are those whose feet are bleeding. Blessed are those who can't see straight or feel their arms. After weeks of grueling physical, mental, emotional training. Blessed are those who are hungry because they only get two meals ready to eat in the last 54 hours. Blessed are those who are tired, the sergeant might say. Blessed are those who are struggling to reach the crucible. For they will be called Marines. Now, notice that nobody likes the pain when you're going through it. 54 hours, 48 miles, 45 pounds of gear, 36 warrior stations, 29 team building exercises, only six hours of sleep, and two meals ready to eat. But someone looks at them as they go through this and says, no, 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 they will be Marines. If they work together, they pull together, they lift one another, how do they reach their goal? The answer, not alone, together, as a community, as a unit, working together. My name is Mark Foster, founding senior pastor here, and I want to talk to you today about the best invitation that's ever been given to this world. I want to dig into the great Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching ever given by the smartest man who ever lived, God himself living on earth, Jesus, who is the Christ, the ruler of all. So, uh, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out, uh, because some of what we're going to talk about today, if you have been churched, uh, that's not our expectation here, uh, everybody's welcome whether you've ever been to church or not, but if you have been churched, this may actually sound the opposite of what you've been taught. So, so I want you to have, uh, pay close attention today, because it is, this is life-giving if you'll receive it. The first thing that I want to pay attention to is that when we get to these Beatitudes, notice the change in the verb. Blessed are, right? That's present tense. For they will be. And what tense is that? Thank you, English people. Very good. All right? So blessed are, notice that Jesus says blessed are, for they will be. Uh, in six of the eight Beatitudes, this is, this is how it works. Jesus is saying you are blessed. You are blessed. And, and the future is up to me. So the Beatitudes begin with this present tense verb, are, and moves to the future tense, will. Did you ever notice that? It's actually quite important. 
uh, here in this uh, sense. Verb tense in Greek and in Jesus' culture was a big deal. They needed to know whether it was in the past or whether it's currently going on or whether it's going to go in the future, whether it's something called perfect tense that happens for all time. And notice that Jesus is saying, I see you. I see you right where you are. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to presume. Um, No, And, and you don't have to push because I see you. I know right where you are. And you are blessed. I'm willing to bless you. I'm ready to bless you. And because of who I am, you are blessed in my kingdom. So blessed are wherever you find yourself today. And you may be like, oh, dude, you do not know my situation. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, I see you where you are. I see you right where you are. And you are blessed. This future tense makes clear that what we're about in our faith is much bigger than what you're going through. It's much bigger than trying to lose a few pounds or find a job or reduce some stress or, uh, you know, overcome an illness or relationship problems. No, no, what Jesus is doing is much bigger here. It changes the world for all time. He's talking about the availability of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. In Matthew, they they were so uh, concerned about the holiness of God that they would not say God's name out loud and they certainly wouldn't write it. And so in Matthew's gospel, who's written to a Jewish community, you'll find the term kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heavens, because they didn't want to use the Lord's name. They didn't want to use it lightly. And so for real power, real power today, and great hope for tomorrow and forever, this is what Jesus is talking about, for eternal life that starts now and goes on forever and ever. So the setup is this. Jesus is demonstrating the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heavens, as Matthew writes it, by meeting the desperate needs of the people around him. And he's traveled all over uh, the region of the Middle East to do this. And, and on the back end of this um, healing ministry that he's doing, um, he begins to teach. It's basically show and tell. So in Matthew 4, it's the setup to the great Sermon on the Mount. And the scripture says it like this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, which is up in the north, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria right? Syria is the same place today. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics. And he cured them. He, he didn't just help them out for a day or two. He cured them. Those who couldn't walk before can now walk. Those who had epilepsy no longer had ep- epilepsy, right? He cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Friends, that is a big area. I, I've been there uh, I've, I've walked some of it. I've taken a bus. Uh, I've taken a flight. And so here, here's Jerusalem all the way down here. So Jesus, this is where we normally think of him, like at the temple. But all this space between here and Galilee, the Judea, he's been all the way through here. He's been across the other side of the Jordan over here, uh, which is present-day Jordan over here. He's, and he comes to the Decapolis, which is 10 cities, Deca meaning 10, 10 Greek cities. They're not Jewish. They, you know, they wouldn't be people of faith. Uh, probably Roman citizens, many of them are soldiers and other folks, not religious, and all the way up here in Galilee. Jesus has been to all of these people, thousands of them, and healed them all. Every disease, every sickness, Matthew writes. He goes where there's cities and their towns, and there's somebody who can't walk. Jesus shows up, and now they can walk. They can't hear, now they can hear. They can't see, now they can see. This is what God wants done, the healing of his people, the helping of his people. And so, as I've said, I've been there twice. This is my son, uh, Noah. I know it's kind of dark because we're, we're backlit here. Uh, Chantel was the one taking the picture. Um, thank you, honey. I didn't say that correctly. 
It's a great picture for the situation in which I put you in after you take the picture. Okay, so um, you'll notice, though, up here on the mountain, it is gorgeous. And there are places where you can actually sit down. And if a teacher wanted to teach, you could hear for a very large space. You could actually teach thousands of people without amplification because you're over the water and you're in the mountains. And so you could actually uh, sit down and teach people in this amazing setting. It is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, flowers everywhere. Uh, there's snowmelt that comes from Mount Hermon that comes. And I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just a great place. And, and it has this amazing view over the, the lake. Imagine yourself sitting there and, and hearing God himself telling you the most important things of life. And you, you can go there today, on the Mount of the Beatitudes. And for us to begin to understand what Jesus is doing, we have to kind of get some terms right. Um, friends, heaven is not so much a place as it is where what God wants done is done. And of course, when we get to heaven, when our bodies die, that will happen all the time perfectly. When you're in God's presence, uh, we'll worship him perfectly. We'll be in right relationship with other folks. But in this life, we can still experience heaven, but it's, it's not in its fullness yet. And so oftentimes when you come to communion or you're in a worship moment, uh, or maybe you're reading scripture, and, and all of a sudden you, you just sense that you're right in God's will, that heaven has broken into earth. And, and, and you can have a peace that passes all understanding that other people will not understand. It will guard your heart and mind. That's what's promised in the scriptures. And what, what, what God wants done, when you see a, a child born and, and, you, and you see the Lord, sometimes in a sunset or a rainbow, and you remember him. The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. Would you say that with me? The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. It's his, it's his will. Uh, we, we often will talk about shalom, where there's nothing missing, nothing broken. This is God's will for the world, that we're at peace with one another. The other term that we need to understand is blessed or blessed. And, and it's used really often in the same way, uh, even today that it was then. If you saw somebody who was wealthy, you'd be like, well, they're blessed, right? Fortunate, well-off, to be in a privileged, fortunate circumstance. This is, this is what it meant. Now, today, often, you, you normally will hear this. You don't, you don't see it on the newscast until you get to where? Sports, right? And, and at the end of the game, they'll talk to the winning person. And, and oftentimes, the winning person will say, well, you know, I'm just so blessed. I'm, I'm so blessed that the Lord did. And, and they're correct, but nobody's doubting that. You're like, yeah, you make $4 million an hour. Of course you're blessed, right? <laughs> You'll notice that they don't often interview the losing players, who must then, of course, be cursed. Now they're making millions too. They're blessed too, right? They're blessed. Nobody doubts that. But what they do doubt is whether the little handicapped kids in a wheelchair at halftime, are they blessed? Yes, they're blessed, Jesus says. They're in my kingdom. I see them too. Everybody in the world knows that the people, you know, driving their fancy cars and make millions of dollars and can slam dunk and are eight feet tall, of course you're blessed. But so is everybody else if you're connected to Jesus. If you listen to him, if you follow him, you too can be blessed. Jesus is cranking open this invitation to people who thought they would never, ever be included. So the context is this. He's been healing and helping all these people that thought they were cursed. He's been all over Syria, Judea, Jerusalem, Decapolis, and he goes up to the mountain. Now, if you were a religious person in Jesus' day, whenever someone went up to the mountain, you thought, oh, that must be Moses or a reincarnation of Moses. This must be something really important. This is where religious teaching was done. And if you've ever been up in the mountains and you've looked down to see the clouds, you can understand this. It is heavenly. You're like, wow, 
that this, there's something really cool about this. So when, when Jesus goes up the mountain, everybody's like, oh, this is going to be good. This is where God hangs out. Pay attention. And so the scripture says when Jesus saw the crowds, he goes up the mountain. And he sits down, and the disciples came to him. And so did everybody else. So when Jesus, when the Bible says Jesus sat down, think rabbi, think teacher. Because unlike us today, most of our teachers stand and teach. But in Jesus' day, the teachers would sit down, and everybody else would either sit down or gather around as they would teach. And so when you see this in the Bible, if somebody goes up to the mountain, they sit down, it's like, ooh, pay attention. It's about to get good. So Jesus is talking directly to those who he had just, who had just received heaven through him in chapter 4. All these people that he had blessed and healed and cured, right? He's doing show and tell. Any of y'all remember show and tell? When you, when you were a little kid, you'd go to class, and, and you would show uh, what was going on, and then you would tell people about it. Jesus had just spent weeks and weeks showing people the kingdom of heaven, healing and helping, and, and now he's going to teach them about what heaven really is. It's show and tell. Show and tell. Y'all remember show and tell? Tell me you did. Right? It's a, it a big deal. I remember it because I had just, it was 1979, and I had big curly hair and braces and headgear that I had to wear. And I just moved from Bartlesville to Guthrie, and I didn't really know anybody yet. So I'd moved from fifth grade to sixth grade. It was about this time of year, 40 years ago, right? So I was 11. And at Guthrie, it was scary because you still played dodgeball. And they would line you up against the wall outside, and people would throw balls at you, these hard red balls, as hard as they could. And, and you hadn't really played until you had some whelps on you. And that was, that was the good time, right? At recess, before school, after school, lunchtime. And there was one guy named Sean McLean who was huge. He was like six feet tall in sixth grade and, and really massive. And I was very afraid of Sean McLean. But there was one girl I was afraid of more. And her name was Angela Lewis. Now, Angela, I want to tell you, went to Langston and then went to Princeton Theological Seminary on a full-ride scholarship and is now a colleague of mine in the Ohio Conference. She, she's a pastor. She's amazing. And amazing. But in sixth grade, she was scary. She scared me to death. Great lady. And it was show and tell. And then the first time she did show and tell, I found out that she knew judo. And she wanted everybody else to know judo. So she came in on her stuff, and she put her hand, you know, through a, a, a big old piece of wood. And she put her hand through like a cinder block. And I was like, oh, this girl is scary. And so, of course, I paid attention the next time we did show and tell, and Angela shows up. She wanted to share with us new music that no one else had heard, 1979. Uh, it was an album and a different kind of music because previous to that, I'd heard, you know, sort of your basic uh, pop ABBA, the Swedish supergroup, you know, that kind of stuff. No, no, no. She brought this record and played it, um, this one. You know, I was Michael Jackson off the wall. Nobody had heard any of this kind of music. It was awesome. Everyone's like, wow, what is this? Oh, yeah. And she was up there. You know, like this. It's six minutes and four seconds. And then she did this. I mean, it was amazing. I was like, Angela, are you kidding me? Oh, there's more. But you won't see it today. All right. So I'm like, what happened? Michael Jackson? I didn't know if I'd heard of Michael Jackson. I mean, that's before the victory tour. Ah, now that's just rude. People from 915 came in just for that part. And they're back out. They're like, like, you can check out the rest of the sermon now. 
So, but here's the thing. Is it the same thing or is it not the same thing to hear the word Michael Jackson but to never know who he is or know what his music is? Or is it a different thing to actually show up at one of his concerts and be, you know, involved in the music, have it move you? I mean, it's very different. You see, what Jesus was doing was something they'd never seen. They had never had somebody before them that could do everything that he talked about. It was a different kind of show and tell. It blew their minds. There were scribes and Pharisees that had taught these things, but they couldn't live them. Jesus did. He'd shown them, and he was about to tell them. And it changed the world. Now, here's the thing about these blesseds. When I was in Sunday school as, as a younger boy, these blesseds have not always been a blessing to me. And if you're a guy, they may not have been a blessing to you. Because exactly what does it mean when you're reading chapter 5 and your Sunday school teacher says, hey, 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 you're supposed to be meek. You're supposed to be shy. You're, you're supposed to be quieter. That, that was an issue for me, by the way. Right? And, and what do you do if you are actually somebody um, who enjoys being in front of people or enjoys standing up, who enjoys um, life itself? But all the Sunday school teacher is really doing is trying to make it through the day. Right? Because the fourth grade boys are off page, as fourth grade boys will be. But if we're not careful, we'll actually take the very words of life that Jesus has to bring life and use them to keep people down. And say, no, 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 you need to get in that box. And Jesus says, that's not what I meant at all. It's not what I'm doing here. You see, Jesus began to speak and he taught these crowds, saying to them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that's a condition that nobody wants to be in. These are the brokenhearted, those who've been left behind, cheated on, ratted on, spat on. That's poor in spirit. And Jesus says, no, 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 theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can almost kind of hear the collective, what? That can't be right. That's, that's not what we believe. Then they said this, blessed are those who mourn. Now, if any of you have been around somebody who's mourning, you know that's not true. Right? When, you mourn, when you've lost someone, you've lost a child, you've lost a spouse, you've lost someone that you deeply loved, and, and you can't even get out of bed, you can't stop crying. Jesus says, no, I see them. They too are comforted. I'll be there for them. Blessed are the meek. You know the meek, the ones that when you call in a class, they shrink behind and they sweat and they don't want to be called on. They don't want people to look at them, much less hear anything that they have to say. It's painful to them. And Jesus says, no, no, I see you. You will inherit the earth. Now, many have been wrongly taught, myself included at times, that, that somehow Christians are supposed to be poor, sad, lonely, shy. No. That is not Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is those people are included too. It's not that if you X, then Y. That's not what Jesus says. Look at it closely. What Jesus says is this. Those who are X will be Y. Jesus isn't trying to get you to be sad and poor and lonely. He's saying if you are poor and sad and lonely, I am with you there too. You're not left out. I see you. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. You too are in my kingdom. So Jesus is not saying you have to be poor, weepy, and persecuted to be blessed. Absolutely not. But you can be blessed in those conditions anyway. Because he's with you. The ruler of all. King of life. 
So what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who are world, but hopeless. Those who have been given up on. And if you're here today, that might be you. You may absolutely feel hopeless about your situation. You've been praying about it. You've been working on it. You've been hoping about it. And you've just given up. I love the way Dallas Willard uh, puts it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, spiritual zeros also enjoy heaven's care. Because his love for us is not dependent on our actions. God's love for us is conditioned on his character, which is love, which is grace. God can't help but do the right thing by you because that's who God is. So Dallas, um, as we would call him, he invited us to call him that when I was in class with him. He, he put it this way. He says, blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad. The twisted, misshapen, deformed, the too big, the too little, the too loud, the bald, the fat, the old. For they are all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. No one's left out. Not even you. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God's character is love. You see, God blesses people because of their need. Not because of their actions or their deeds. Because God chooses. It's God's choice, not ours. And sometimes because someone asks God to. It's all through the Gospels. Where somebody will come to Jesus and say, hey, my daughter's sick. Will you heal her? And he says, sure. Love to. Go home. She'll be well when you get there. Oh, my son, he's ill. They go home and he's made well. Just because someone asked them to. So if you have someone that you're really concerned about, pray for them. Ask Jesus to help them. Because he wants to. And make really clear, friends, no one earns it. Not you. Not me. Not the Pope. Not Mother Teresa. No one. No one earns it. It's a gift. God's character is love. It's grace. You see, God's rule is available now. Right now, today, for you and for everybody you'll ever meet in circumstances beyond all human hope or capacity. God's ready to bless. He says, you are blessed, actually. For there are many wonderful things in my kingdom that are going to happen with you. You just can't see it yet. So here's what I want you to know, and I'd love it for you to share it with your friends. There is no human condition that excludes blessedness. Say that with me. No human condition excludes blessedness. Mm -mm, it's much bigger than that. God may come to any person, any person that you have ever known, that you will ever know. So Jesus says it like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, you know, we, if you're not careful, you'll just read that, well, I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, friends, if you've ever been in a place where you're right fighting for someone who has an injustice, that's a terrible place to be, isn't it? When you know your kid's getting treated wrongly at school and there's nothing you can do about it, you've gone to the counselor, you've gone to the teacher, you've gone to the principal, you really don't want to sue the school, but you don't know what else to do because your kid comes home crying every day, you're trying to fight for their right, and it's terrible. Because nothing's changing. And it's just terrible. And, and Jesus says, I see you there. You'll be, this is going to change in my kingdom. I'm with you. Don't give up hope. The next thing he's going to talk about is mercy. Well, our world says, woe to the merciful, for they shall be taken advantage of. Isn't that true? I've actually had people come to me and say, Pastor Mark, I, I'm not really sure we should have you making decisions uh, around some of the financial pieces of the church because you're too nice. Right? You're, you're not going to sue anybody, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's probably right. Probably not. But here's the thing. 
We don't have to worry. And by the way, we have really good people on finance and around that, people that are very wise and know their Bible and listen to God. Right? We take that very seriously around here. But Jesus says, no, 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 the merciful are also under my protection and mercy. I'm watching out for you. I'm watching out for you. So blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will receive mercy, the Lord's mercy. He says, blessed are the poor in heart. Maybe, and this is a hard one, because this is single-mindedness. Have, have you ever been working on a project, and you're almost done, and you've just been single on it, and you're just, you know, focused in, and then somebody comes in and interrupts you? When you're like, you feel like you're 30 seconds away from a breakthrough for a line and, and a piece of work or a math problem, and you're like, do you feel blessed at that moment? No. You feel like you're going to lose your mind, because we are the perfectionists, right? Blessed are the perfectionists who drive us crazy. They too are blessed. And here's the thing. Most of us are the perfectionists from time to time. For whom nothing is good enough. Not even themselves. Blessed are the perfectionists because they are a pain to everyone. Themselves included. Perhaps most of all. And in religion, it's very hard because nothing's ever good enough. The, the doctrine or the practice or their attitude or their heart can't be right. But we can be even harder on ourselves, can't we? We endlessly pick over our decisions or our motivations. You know, people said that about Jesus. They wanted him to wash his hands even though they were clean. They called him a drunkard because he, he went places that religious folks weren't supposed to go. And Jesus says, even the perfectionists who drive us crazy are blessed. Now, these folks can tell you what's wrong with everything. And yet the kingdom is open to them because one day, one day they're going to see Jesus face to face and their heart will finally be satisfied. When they finally see God, It'll be good enough. For the first time in their life, they will see perfection. Jesus, who's truly good enough. And then Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, that sounds nice. For they will be called children of God. Who are the peacemakers in Edmund today? Who are peacemakers? H have you heard justice of the peace? It's our police officers. Our police officers are blessed, Jesus says. Because they're often stuck in the middle of these terrible domestic situations where both people in the domestic think the police are against them. And it's dangerous, friends. People murder suicides. It's often about domestic calls. And the police are called right into the middle of that very dangerous spot. And Jesus says, I see you there. Thank you for your good work on my behalf trying to bring peace where there's chaos and danger. The police are blessed. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, in our culture today, you have a heavy price to pay for truth-telling. You turn on the news, or you think, you know, we've got some laws, um, you know, to try to protect whistleblowers, but they are woefully inadequate. You try to talk truth to power these days, and it'll get you locked up, or harassed, or lose your job. Isn't that true? And, you know, you, you say too much about your boss or your boss's boss or the government or whatever else it is, it's going to be bad for you. There's not a big old parade. Oh, thank you for telling the truth because we all kind of knew it. We looked the other way and we really wish you hadn't said anything because oh, that's going to be bad for all of us. I might lose my job too. Thank you for nothing. Isn't that true? And Jesus says, no, I see you because I am the way. I am the truth. I am life itself. That's what Jesus says. When you find the truth, you find Jesus. And he says, I see you. And there will be a day, friends, when everybody else knows the truth about this situation too. And they'll know that you are on the right side. And they'll know that you were telling the truth. And they'll know how terrible it was. And they'll be grateful for what you did.
It's not today. But there will be a day when you have all knowledge and people will see the truth about what's going on. And you'll be justified. You see, these beatitudes are a list of human lasts who at the touch of Jesus became divine firsts. You see, the first will be last. The last will be first in Jesus' kingdom. That's what he promises. So what do we do about this? Well, oddly, Jesus doesn't sort of give you a prescription. And, and woe to us if we try to make it a prescription. Because the things that Jesus is talking about here would be much harder than even the Ten Commandments, wouldn't they? I mean, if you had to actually do these things perfectly to be in the kingdom, he says, no, no, no. Because this is the case, right, I'm with you anyway. So this is how Jesus answers that. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Not you should be or you need to work harder at it. He says, no, no, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out, trampled underfoot. Then he says this, you are the light of the world. You really are. A city built on a hill can't be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, it gives light to all in the house. This is who you are, he says. And notice that he's not talking just to the 12. He's not talking about the end crowd. He's talking about everybody who's there. And he says this to the perhaps thousands of people that are sitting and listening to him. He says, in the same way, all of you, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So notice that Jesus doesn't say, try harder to be salt, right? Be saltier. It's not what he says. He says, you are salt. Go live like it. You are light. Go live in that reality, that kingdom reality. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's good news, friends. He's not asking you to try harder. He's encouraging you to live into what you already are, what he's made you to be. And so what we can do is we can celebrate. We really can celebrate that Jesus raised ordinary hurting folk, folks like you and me, with no human qualification into fellowship with God through their connection with Jesus. Jesus is saying, follow me. That's what he says, follow me. And everyone who does is blessed. He's ready to bless. We will be children of God. So, well, what, do you, what do you do with this? Our action step is this. Who in your life would you say is a lost cause? Is there anybody in your life, when you think of them, you're like, man, I've been working on that one for a while. Well, I just give up. That, you know, whether it's a relationship, part of your job, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's one of your kids. And you just think, man. And, and maybe even more painfully, maybe it's yourself. You've been trying to overcome this thing, this habit, this addiction, this mindset, whatever it is, and you, you just can't seem to do it. Jesus says, you too are blessed. Don't ever forget that. I'm with you. I see you. You too are blessed. You too are in my kingdom. I'm with you. So talk to Jesus about how together with him, you too can be blessed. Or you can bless someone else. And friends, I know that sometimes it's something that only Jesus can do. But most of the time, it's something that Jesus calls us into. To be a blessing to someone. A neighbor, a friend, that prickly co-worker. Right? That relationship that's been broken. And Jesus says, I'm there too. You are blessed. That's what he says. We celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of blessing, that you are a God that makes things right. You let the truth be known, and the world turned right side up. We thank you for it all. 
Can we thank you for even teaching us how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 